Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. My name is Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review. Today I'm very pleased to be joined by uh, two guys from ITS, Josh and Yvette. Uh, if I can come to you first, Josh, welcome. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you. Uh, my name is Josh Burnson. I am the Chief Technology Officer at ITS. My job is uh, a lot of research, keeping an eye on new technologies, and creating the products and service offerings uh, here at ITS. Great. Thank you for joining us. And Yvette? Yeah, I'm Yvette Matthews. I'm the VP of Professional Services, so I'm in charge of our delivery organization. I'm also an asset management practitioner, so I'm I'm pretty favorable to any asset management work that we get coming in. So I know you as a as a large partner in the U.S., but for those not familiar with ITS, could you give the sort of quick thumbnail, the sort of elevator pitch? What's what's ITS all about? Uh, ITS is a service provider for ServiceNow um, platform. We focus on asset management, CMDB, and vulnerability response on the platform. We do a lot of work around helping people understand their asset uh, position and making sure that their CMDBs are healthy so that they can properly use the ServiceNow platform for other things. Cool. So could you, and I'd love to pick your brains, uh, or both of you on hardware asset management today, but could we just look at ITS in the market? Um, what Where's the core focus at the moment? You mentioned CMDB, you mentioned HAM, you mentioned service. Where, where's the majority of your time spent and, and what are your customers demanding of you at the moment? Yeah, I'll, I'll tackle this. So our key focus is on uh, services, so implementing um, software, helping customers uh, implement the processes around asset management, around the CMDB as Yvette, managed, uh, as Yvette mentioned, and uh, and then implementing the software to go with that. We work pretty closely with a few partners, ServiceNow being one of those. And, uh, and then we also work very closely with a few uh, companies to build integrations, connecting the dozens, if not hundreds, of, of ways data can come into the system and making that process smoother. If we look hardware asset management specifically, um, the world has changed. And I mean, prior to COVID, I saw a sort of um, ham and Sam were coming together. More and more organizations were realizing they couldn't do Sam without doing ham. Uh, I'm seeing more and more organizations where those two functions are combined. And then you have COVID where I've seen an even bigger driver for people looking at HAM in the first place because suddenly assets that were sat in perhaps a cluster of offices were now spread across the country. How how do you see HAM at the moment? What what are customers asking for when they're, when they're looking at HAM? Well, a lot of them have this interesting paradox they've created for themselves by sending everybody home with all of their equipment at the beginning of COVID, but not actually understanding what they sent home with them. So most of my customers are saying, how do we understand what we have, what 
what's still in stock rooms that maybe aren't managed because there's nobody in the office? What do we send home with people and how do we track that? What are ways we can get our our end users to self-certify and tell us what they took home so we can start building asset repositories where maybe we didn't have any before? Um, some of the more mature customers are really just trying to understand the best way to ping pieces of equipment with some sort of discovery mechanism, like an endpoint management software, so they can continue to get information back from the PCs that did go home with people, and what's the best way for them to do that. Yeah, it's also complicated some processes that some more mature customers had had, had um, in place and we're working really well. So we've worked with some organizations that had, had really strong um, lend lease processes in place and and uh, even had got to very strong maturity on, on refresh, something that some organizations take years to get in place. And those were in really good shape. And then everybody goes home with their machines and now those just fall apart. And so having to rebuild those processes to keep IT at a point where they understand the entire organization, that's, a, that's sometimes having to rebuild those processes from scratch. So you you we've touched on COVID, but um, what are the key drivers for people apart from these devices being distributed everywhere? Why are people typically looking to fix their ham? Why do they come to you in the first place? What are the common issues? Do you think? I think a lot of it has to do with security, not understanding what's in the environment. So we see all the time about breaches or viruses getting in or people having ransomware locking their machines down. And what our customers are finding is security can't identify the machines. So security is coming to the asset management group going, hey, you have information that we don't have or you should have information we don't have or could you match up your information with our information? And that's driving a lot of adoption of, you can't manage it if you don't know where it is. So they're looking for location information. They're looking for who's using it, who's the last logged on user to a particular device. But what they're looking for is everything to be kind of in, in one pane of glass and not in a bunch of disparate tools. So they're really looking for how do we take all this information that we've gathered in these multiple different repositories and put it in one place to make it easier for everybody to get to? And yeah, and, and on that security point, secure, when we are dealing with um, any security aspect, especially a, a known breach, uh, we have a very limited amount of time to solve that issue. And the, the last thing you wanna deal with is, you know what the problem is, you know how to solve the problem, and now it takes hours or days to find the owner of that device because you're looking through multiple databases or through paperwork. Uh, if you can know exactly how to contact the person because you can do a quick search and find it, that is a significant reduction in risk for the organization. Right. And just, could you just talk to me briefly about the the sort of ecosystem around ServiceNow as well? Because they, and my knowledge is not up to date here so forgive me but they i know that they have some sort of collectors um they've historically used secm as a data feed for a long time you might be using your cmdb2 uh the customer might have inventory tools how do you go about bringing all this mess this spaghetti together well that that's part of the fun of the cmdb it's um figuring what 
data attributes you need from each of your data sources and how you mash them together to make the most effective uh, repository. So I might use endpoint management from SCCM. I might use ServiceNow's own discovery mechanism. I could be using other tools like Alteris. I could be using BigFix. I could be using IBM's information. And it's really going to depend on what kind of data I'm trying to get as to what attributes I'm gonna bring into the CMDB and ultimately the asset repository. One of the things that we're seeing more now is our security team wants to integrate their data, not just from a security aspect, but they want to integrate it with the asset data to add as another piece of the CMDB so that they can reference back what, if I see something at IP address XYZ, I know that that happens to be this configuration item, which is associated with this asset record. So now I have all of the information that may have been entered on the asset record available to the security team kind of by following the data. So would you say that security risk is a bigger driver for most customers than cost? At this point, I think it is, um, particularly around hardware asset. You kind of know what you spend and you've got it on a regular depreciation schedule. But the risk of having a breach or a vulnerability that puts the organization at risk both financially and maybe through some bad press, that seems to be very, very important at this point for them to get a better handle on. I don't think anybody wants to be the hospital system that suddenly has uh, some malware come in and steal hospital records or patient information because it wasn't guarded because security didn't know about a server that was sitting in a, in a room somewhere. Um, so I think that's really bringing a lot of visibility into the asset space because security doesn't know what they don't know. Right. And you've spoken of a prescriptive implementation. What, what does that mean? Does that mean don't configure it, just take it out of the box? Or what, what does a prescriptive implementation mean when it comes to hardware asset management? Yeah, so prescriptive is, uh, it's not that we don't, change anything from out of the box. There's there's always a need to make some configuration changes. We're always looking at the process and making sure that the tool meets the process. Um, the difference between prescriptive and a more traditional, what we refer to as assessment led, which is sit down and, and understand all of the requirements and meeting all of those requirements into the tool is that uh, we know that there's a very uh, limited set of goals and features that really make a difference for success depending on uh, which team we're working with. So we've been talking a lot about uh, an asset management team that's very closely aligned to security or trying to meet security goals. There's a specific set of features that need to be in place for that to work. Uh, we might be working instead with a group that's very closely tied to IT and they're looking at more at identifying and reducing the number of devices in the organization. And that's a different set of features and a different set of goals. So prescriptive is really focused on pre-identifying the set of features and the set of goals that need to be there and only making the changes to meet that and intentionally skipping the other things that aren't going to bring value to that specific uh, set of features and goals. They, you might get to them later, they might still be important, but if you do them upfront, projects take months or years and you might never actually get them done. So it's it's narrowing your focus based on your features and your goals so that you can have a project be completed within a reasonable amount of time and actually get using it and get the benefit out of it. Right, so it's classic, not, tr not trying to boil the ocean with everyone's requirements, I guess. Exactly. 
And another key part of it is it answers a lot of questions that people really don't know how to answer right up front, especially people who are new to hardware asset management. Um, we have those answers there and it's much easier to say, yeah, this, this makes sense to me, let's go do this, rather than everybody throwing their hands up in the air and not really knowing where to start. And so I get that. And but would you also take a step by step approach when it comes to the asset types? Would you take like one of the approaches to to hardware asset management might be to do an asset class at a time, for example? W- would you take that approach, or is this a around a specific use case for security? Or how how, how do you set the scope? So part of that's going to be what the customer is asking for. A lot of them want to start with end user compute because that seems to be the the part they have the most control over, Um, meaning they're not owned by the server team. It's more the end user management team that wants to understand both the end user environment from a hardware and software perspective. So we might start there. That might be the first thing that we're going to do prescriptive around is just their end user compute environment. From there, I could go pretty much anywhere. Yeah, and and Yvette, you mentioned the bringing in the security tools as one of our data sources. That often helps us make a decision when we go past end user compute where we're going to go. The um, the end user, or sorry, the the vulnerability scanners, for example, uh, which are a very good data source to add on once we get past our end end user compute and our our traditional discovery tools. Those can bring in a whole new class of devices that we often don't have. And for a lot of organizations, for the on the risk side, those are the next step. So those could be uh, network equipment. Those could be uh, DMZ devices, devices sitting outside of our secure environment. Um, we often will target those as our second set. And they often aren't even detected by our first phase uh, discovery uh, processes. So you've you've I've been talking to you recently about your recent service that you've um, launched in the ham space. Can we unpick that a little bit? What what are you doing there and why? Yeah. So the 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 simple answer to that is that we worked with a lot of customers over many years, and we would start a project, and the first question that would come up from the customer was, "Where do I start?" and when we are working with someone who already knows where to start, where we have an organization that has already moved well along the initial hardware asset management process, they might understand what they have in their environment and they're looking to mature past that point, put in some of the more complex processes, then that's a conversation. That's sitting down and, and understanding where everybody is and knowing how we move from, from the first level of maturity maybe to a higher level. But when the conversation starts with, I really don't know how to start, then we realized that the best thing that we could do for people was was start somewhere by default. So say, okay, well, if you don't know where to start, then if we understand your primary goal, your primary goal could be security, for example, aligned with the security team, the risk management team, then here are the 10 things that you need to do in the next two months. And that's exactly what the project is. So that it all started with the fact that we understood that, that many, many people in the hardware asset management space simply didn't know where to start. They knew where they needed to end up, but they didn't know at all how to get there. And so we built everything with that in mind. And without revealing your secret source here, um, what what are some of the things that you would include in that top 10? What are the sort of early wins that you could deliver people? So one of the most important things is to look at the processes. So we, we talk a lot about this being a 
implementation of a tool, but the reality is we're looking at the processes for hardware asset management and saying, what are the most important processes that we have to get in place so that we can get up and running and get past that stuck of where do we start? And a lot of those are those core uh, onboarding processes. So we're talking about um, understanding how the uh, devices are brought into the organization from both from discovery and, um, and requisition. And then we also need to understand, do we care about disposal? Do we care about full cradle to grave, which if we're dealing with an organization that's dealing with the risk and security, we absolutely do. So are we tracking from the, the, the birth of a device in the organization to its death? Or are we simply tracking its birth and its movement within the organization? Um, and so a lot of that is understanding the processes and making sure that the, that the people we're working with understand the processes uh, and that they can live those processes, that, that it's not just a piece of paper, but that they actually can know who fits into what role in that process. And once that's there, then it's sitting down in the tool and making sure that the tool matches up with that. Yeah, one of the biggest issues that we find is is our customers think about best practice. They hear it like it's it's this all-encompassing thing they have to do. And I like to talk to them about it's only best practice if you can do it. it if it doesn't work in your organization due to some financial construct or way that you need to actually do something, then we need to take that best practice and adapt it to your organization. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And then what's the point of, of trying to get all of that configured? Right. Yeah, I think one of the best examples that, I, that I've seen is understanding how to how sim something as simple as move ad change works is, is really critical. And working with an organization that had given that responsibility literally to one person in the entire company and expected it to be a reliable process. Um, and then sitting down and, and, and making sure that that organization understood that anybody who could be responsible for a device needs to be part of that process, that alone was a life-changing event, a life-changing experience for that organization. That's the type of thing that makes a difference. So we've done some research into this recently in terms of the challenges around HAM and, and particularly how HAM has changed as, as a result of COVID. And there's a couple of, th a couple of themes that came out. One was um, uh, one of the biggest challenges of doing hardware asset management people finding is, is keeping the... Um, the ownership de details up to date. So one challenge is, you know, auditing that device, finding out how it's configured, you know, maybe where it is, but the actual ownership of that device. Um, and the second one is um, keeping all of the ham plates spinning in the air uh, when they potentially span lots of different departments, you know, because you've got the, the procurement or the planning at one end and you've got the ITAD and the disposal at the other end. So that might that those processes might scan quite a few different departments. Have you got any advice on addressing both of those issues? I like to use um, what we term self-certification. It's having the end user end users participate in defining who has what device at any given time. The tools will give us some information based on who's logged in. But if say, say you give a device to a person and that person goes on leave, but they're still part of your organization, that means the tools aren't going to report back and that could potentially become a missing device. So we like to put together some sort of methodology and tooling that allows our customers to have their end users report back in 
what is currently in their possession at any given time. And it could be anywhere from an end user compute device, could be a tablet, could be a phone, whatever they're currently interested in, in understanding. You can do something very similar to for servers and things with the server team, but those don't walk away like a laptop would. So what we found for a lot of our customers is once you start just starting that self-certification journey that people have multiple devices that have never been reclaimed. So they've had a laptop save since the last refresh because no one ever asked for it back. So they either had it in their desk or they, they have it at home and they didn't know what to do with it. Most of them don't want them, but they also don't want to throw them away because they've learned that we don't throw electronic waste in the trash. It should be disposed of properly. So then they end up with these stacks of computers in places. So that self-certification is a huge win for getting your end users or your your the rest of the organization to participate in the asset management process. So just to unpick that a little bit, you, you um, that would be, for, for people not familiar with this whole process, that would be like an email sent out or an, an, an app that says, have you still got this? And then they have to check in. Could you just expand how you execute that? Uh, we do that on the ServiceNow platform using a couple of different methodologies. One, you can use a service catalog and create catalog items, send out a task to your, your end users in different groups to say what I have based on what assets are registered to them inside of the database already. So we can say, hey, do you still have these computers or this phone or this tablet? Or I can do something along the lines of, please tell me through uh, email or ticketing what you currently have in your possession that's a little bit more work for the end users because they'll have to know they'll have to find the asset tag they'll have to put in the serial number and the make and model so sometimes we do a little bit of both so i may have a catalog item that says self-certify on the items that you have and in addition i'm going to give you a space to put in others so you can put in equipment that may belong to the organization that they can put in all of the relevant information about that so that we can register that they have it and in some cases, this helps security by understanding, hey, they still have this computer that they're using that for some reason we don't have our security tools on or our endpoint management tools on. So they're maybe on our network that we don't realize and maybe it's pinging some sort of vulnerability on, on a vulnerability scanner because it's an unknown device. So it's, it's all about the configuring it based on how you want your end users to interact, in this case with ServiceNow, but it could be with any tool. Yeah. I, I like that because it's, it's, it's a bit like um, the app store on your own phone. You know, people know how to clear out the apps they're not using and get them back and look after own equipment. I'm just curious about um, the take up of that. I mean, what if an, if a customer likes that idea and went to, you know, implement that, what sort of uh, hit rate are they likely to get from their customer base? Is that like 50% people respond or 75%? What's the likely hit rate? It's going to depend on who the sponsor was that asked for it. So what I mean by that is whichever executive group is asking for it, if it's security, you're going to see a higher hit rate because security is going to publish it. You have to do a lot of organizational change management when you implement this because you're asking them to do something that's outside of the scope of their normal day-to-day -day job and they may not see the value in it. Yeah. So what we try to do is do a big communication push with our customers so that they, their end users understand why they're being asked to do it and why it's critical for the organization. 
from there in the tool, I can see how many people have actually responded and I can see how many um, devices have been um, check marked that they've been updated or assigned or validated. Then I can start targeting those devices that people aren't responding to or the end users who aren't responding. It's just going to be a smaller number. But as long as you're doing that communications push up front, you get a lot of a lot better buy in from those end users on why they should check the box or go do the task. And the in terms of the whole life cycle, so you know, an asset might touch quite a few different teams as it goes throughout the life cycle. How do you keep that consistency across all these different teams? What in in which context are we talking about from the understanding like where the asset went? because that you can track it with a historical function. So I can look at a history and set up a table to track who's had a different asset throughout its life cycles. So it's more, it's more of a, the, the feedback we were getting back from the survey was it's more about the governance. So how do I ensure all of these processes are adhered to when there's so many different personalities involved? It's not like it's one person managing the asset throughout its whole life cycle. There's lots of different teams potentially involved, lots of different batons being passed to different teams and how to maintain that consistency, I guess. Gotcha. We we try to implement governance boards at most of our customers. So having that program manager level to view the overall ITAM infrastructure. So what are we doing when we're building out our processes? Who are the teams involved? Making sure they have buy-in and then having a communication with those people at least once a month to talk about what the needs are, what problems and challenges they're seeing. Are the processes still working? That's a big one is making sure you're reviewing with those other teams that aren't on the asset team, but are helping provide value to the asset team. Are the processes working for their group? Has anything changed in the last month? We try to encourage them to meet monthly because you get better results if people stay bought in. If they only meet, say, once every six months, they've forgotten by month three why you asked them to do the thing or their job has changed or a new person has taken over. And if they're not part of that governance board, they kind of forget what they're supposed to be doing or understanding why they were asked to do it. It may not have been transferred when they transfer positions, et cetera. Governance is key and having a program manager is always encouraged by ITS to our customers, but um, they can't always do that. Sometimes it's not practical because they're a small organization or they run really lean. In that case, we spend a lot of time helping them develop communications so that their their end users understand and those different department heads understand why they own particular types of assets or they own particular data attributes that are associated with the assets. And yeah, sorry, but to that point, just building and assigning a few roles can help too, especially when you have those individuals who are in those other groups that, that you, you absolutely want them participating in, in governance and appearing in those meetings. But when they're not there, having just a couple of roles assigned to those individuals, make sure they understand this is what your responsibility is in relation to asset management, in relation to the data itself. So data certification on the whole, especially when you're dealing with the larger, more permanent devices like the server environment, the network equipment, things like that. Even though it doesn't move around, it definitely changes occasionally. And understanding what their role in that in the requisition process, in the retirement process, in the, in the change process can make a big difference if, we, if you keep it simple and you make sure they understand it's a role, not a person, so that when their job changes, they hand the role off to somebody else. Right. 
And customers interested in this, how do they go about justifying the spend? To, to, you know, what's the likely return they're going to see? How do you how do you help them build that case? One aspect of it is the is kind of a paired ownership. So the asset management team, when it comes to hardware asset management, is regularly pairing up with another team uh, to help justify that. We talked a lot about security today, and we're seeing a. It's very common for the asset management team to be paired up with the risk management of the security team, and they're often driving it because they're seeing the, seeing it as a risk reduction effort. They, as we've mentioned several times today, they need more information and current information in order to drive down the time to remediate the environment and reduce risk. And that is, uh, it is a cost mitigation. Um, and that's the usually the most direct uh, um, cost justification that we're seeing. Outside of that, a lot of it is IT, is cost reduction in IT. So reusing what we already own um, so that we don't spend money on hardware because we already have hardware and reducing the complexity of the environment. So IT spends a lot of money on unique situations. And anytime we can reduce complexity, IT can save time and save money. I absolutely agree with you on the security stuff. We're, we're doing stuff uh, around the ISO standard 19770 around security. And um, you just need to look at the number of check marks you need to do for meeting 27,000, the security standard. There's so much ITAM in there. And NIST is saying that, you know, ITAM is foundational to doing cybersecurity. There's so much potential there. I think that's going to be a major focus area for ITAM teams over the next decade. Yeah, the two teams, that, that, that's a perfect example where we, we see ITAM as a prerequisite for security. A lot of times we'll talk about it as being going both ways. So ITAM is providing data to security and providing the foundation for security. But security is also providing information back to the ITAM team, even for ITAM that's working just to save money directly, save money for procurement, save money for IT, because security is also a data source. So it's actually a, a, a fairly symbiotic relationship. So one thing I'd like to throw in here, occasionally we do talk to those ITAM teams that are very isolated. And, and Yvette, you may want to speak to this for a minute too, because you probably dealt with them more than I have. We've, we've referenced cases where ITAM is working with security a lot and occasionally working with IT. Occasionally we do work with hardware asset managers who are just there to facilitate the needs of the procurement team. They're just there to save some money on, on asset management. And that does exist. It still exists today. It's becoming less common, but it still does exist. And the problems are not unique to that team. They have, they, they have to deal with the fact that they have the entire life cycle to deal with and they're focused usually uniquely on saving the money in the organization. But the reality is that those other groups still exist. IT is still there, uh, still needs help understanding the organization. Security is there. They still need risk reduction. So for those IT managers who, who right now are just trying to save some money, there's a very good chance those other two teams out there need help uh, and can help facilitate budget and, uh, and information to make the job easier. Right. I mean, we, we've seen, um, I mean, I, I bang on about this again and again, but we've seen the transition of the ITAM ministry from, from an administrative counting computers role through to strategic and whispering in the ear of the CIO. And, uh, but not every, not everyone's there, right? So <laughs> not the whole industry isn't there. And uh, yeah, you, if, if you are somewhat isolated, it's a fantastic career. It's a fantastic opportunity to work in the ITAM space. 
Um, I think you just need to work with your peers, as you, as you've suggested. So, Josh, Yvette, thank you very much for sharing your uh, experiences at the Ham Rock Face with us. Uh, just to finish, uh, could you tell us what's what's on the horizon for ITS? What are you um, what are you up to? Are you guys meeting up yet? Are you uh, unlocked? What's going on in the world of ITS? So we are slowly unlocking. Uh, we're starting to get back together, uh, which is nice to, to see people again. Um, in the uh, work space, we were starting to work a lot more on the software asset management side. So maybe next time we'll talk about that. Uh, we do a lot of software asset management and we're, we're seeing a lot of more work there, but it's just in the, out in the world, it's just nice to get together again. Great. Thanks guys. And I look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you very much for sharing your time. Thank you. Thank you.